Hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. You know, off the Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose. Yeah, I know it's Saturday, but because you lovely lot deserve to hear the whole show, we're giving you the full shebang, like a daily podcast, but for weekends. Get it? So, let's get started. Today, I'm talking to Wham's Andrew Ridgely and Shirley Kemp. They've got a new Netflix documentary coming out and a brand new record, Wham! of the singles. Leslie Sharp joins me to chat about the revival of the Full Monty in series form. Martha has a sort of summer with some crispy squid. Delicious. And as ever, Maria McCurlin has her post bag of dilemmas to solve in Graham's Guide. Here she is now. Oh, it's too hot. Oh, shut up. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. We only have to have have sort of, you know, 20 degrees for a day and everyone goes, no, it's too hot. This okay, is too yeah, much now. Yeah, this too is much. too much now. See, look, I've got a summer dress on. You do. You look ever so summery. Are you liking my summer dress? Would it's you like lovely. to borrow with my it's summer dress? very nice. I am missing your velour shorts of last year. Oh, I've, you know, they must be in the house somewhere. Oh, have you lost them? No, no, I, I just, as you mentioned them, I thought maybe they're in Ireland. Um, that's the problem of the chronically overly housed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's not dwell on that, Graham. Let's not dwell on that. I've um, now I've made a lovely garden, Graham, as I droned on about. But <sighs> now, but yeah, but now it takes so long to water the thing. Nightly. Well, don't worry. Soon there'll be a hosepipe ban. By the oh, time you get home, there's well, probably be a hosepipe. That's what I thought. I thought better do this now before the hosepipe ban. We really need a water butt. Have you got a water butt? No, well, uh, no. Because course. I think drought is nature's way of telling you not to garden. <laughs> <laughs> I think drought is nature's way of telling you to drink more water when you can, which we don't do. do I had, you know, I was listening to Nick Grimshaw the other day. Were you? Why yeah. is that? Because he, he was on, on the radio. He was on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why was that? Why were you listening to him? No, I was at your house, if I seem to recall. Yeah, and uh, he was talking about how uh, before he was 30, yeah. he never drank water. I think I was about 55 before I drank water. Well, you see, we were of the generation where water wasn't really a thing. No. You know, if you wanted a glass of water, you'd normally put some squash in it out of the tap. <laughs> um, and that was you done. That was you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner in one. Oh, that was delicious. That was delicious. My, was it my waddy squash here? Or was that in Ireland, my waddy? I don't I think it's Irish. Yeah. I don't uh, yeah, think it yeah. made it across the water, my waddy squash. But I could be wrong. Somebody will tell me. Um, Imagine trying to give that to a child now. Yeah. They would just look at you like you were trying to kill them. Yeah, like, why exactly. Would, why do you want me to drink that? That's disgusting. disgusting. You put water into something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But now you see bottled water. We all have bottled water. Yes, I've, I've noticed. Have you yeah, noticed? I've seen, I've seen that. I they was, sell it in garages and everything. I was doing a thing the other day where I was on the train and I was counting how many people, I know, there's not much going on in my head, how many people <laughs> I had, had a bottle of water with I'm them. I'm so glad you have this outlet. <laughs> I'm so glad you get to tell the nation this. It was a delay in stations. I'd finished my book. No, no, book. keep going, keep what going. What am I going to do? No, counting how many people. And there was not one person who didn't have... Some people had big bottles. At <laughs> uh, the end, sorry. OK. Tell me about your week. That's the business to be in, obviously. <laughs> yes. um, Too late now. You've got your G Graham Norton wine. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Well, do you want to have my GN water? Maybe I should do that, yeah. Well, you do have an Irish spring very near your house. Yes, yes. Not yeah. in London, obviously. No, no, that's very far. Um, it's very close to my velour shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your velour shorts are soaking up the Irish spring. Talking of yes. Ireland. Yes, yes, you've uh, been there. You've only got, I think tonight might be the last night, but uh, the fabulous Panty Bliss is doing a show at the Soho Theatre called If These Wigs Could Talk. It's so good. That's a very good title, isn't it? It's great. Uh, if you don't know who Panty Bliss is, 
Google them. Um, but uh, Patty Bliss is just kind of... Uh, sort. I mean, you know, they bandy around words like national treasure. But Patty Bliss really is an Irish national treasure. And, and very this, funny. Uh, very funny. And this, But this show, like, no one's doing shows like this. It's, yes, there's funny bits, but it's also a kind of a big kind of polemic. It's got... Uh, politics in it it's oh. got all sorts of it's, I loved it steady on yeah I loved it it was really Wait, was really that good. last night you went to see it no no I went to see it on uh, the the Tuesday I went to see the Tuesday <laughs> sure no was it no, the I Tuesday lied. no I lied it was the Monday no, sure no. was it the Tuesday it no. was the Tuesday it was the Tuesday because the postman came on the Wednesday that's right <laughs> yes so it was the Tuesday but it was very good um, I think it might be all sold out but if you didn't know that was on and you love Panty Bliss yeah, I think tonight's the last night you're doing quite a lot of your cultural stuff whipping about in London aren't you well what I tend to do oh, is yes, yes. go to see nothing yes. go to see nothing and then it'll suddenly strike me oh I live in London and suddenly I'll go to see lots of things so for the last two weeks I've seen lots of things and okay. now I won't see anything for months right yeah When's your um, television show come back? Uh, that thanks for asking. Yeah, Maria. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on message. Set, set, set the uh, set the planner. It's uh, back in September. Not till September. Yeah, it's good, isn't it, to leave them wanting more, Graham? Or leave them just relieved that it's <laughs> it's not on. Just take their compliment, will I'm you? Taking, I'm taking the compliment. I'm taking. And uh, we've got Graham's guide on the other side of this. Oh yes, letters a go go. Virgin Radio. I'm going to read you a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Graham... Oh, this is quite long. Dear Graham and Maria... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, oh, I know. You've got a problem. I work so hard. <laughs> Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, my parents retired to rural France 20 years ago, taking a cat with them. Do you know where this is going? Over the years, they have acquired at least 15 more cats, which they feed twice a day, including multiple sets of kittens who have been born there. There's a farm at the top of the hill where Tom's... Male cats. Oh, and I see. I'm, I'm so confused. I'm thinking, who's Tom now? Oh, come on. Where Tom's and pregnant females come and visit. Pre-COVID, my parents would take them to the vets to be spayed or neutered, but now things have got out of control. Sadly, my mum has recently passed away and my dad wants to sell the house and come back to the UK. The problem is he's still feeding the cats. Around five or six of them are house cats, but the rest are pretty feral. Money is very tight. He buys only the most expensive cat food, as he says that that's all they'll eat. We have pointed out that he should be trying to make them less reliant on his food if he's going to leave the country, but he just will not listen. It's as if he has a mental block about the problem and now living alone, taking care of these cats is really the only thing, only thing he has to do. There's now a new litter of three kittens aged around two months. I'm not keeping up with how many there are now. There seem to be no animal shelters in the area who can take them in. He could perhaps bring back one or two, but not all of them. We're at our wit's end. Any suggestions? And that is from Susie in London. Susie in London, I'm genuinely stumped by the cat problem. It's a proper problem, isn't it? It is a proper problem. I'm very... uh, What I'm feeling most is sad for your dad because I think what he's done, it's really hard to lose a partner after many, many years. Your mum has passed away. He has just turned all his attention onto these cats. And that's kind of all he's thinking about, really. It's something they did together and now he's doing it alone. And it is out of 
out of control and out of hand. It's difficult for you, Susie, in London because you're in London and he's in France, so you can't wean him off. I mean, so I would just say, trying to be practical first and foremost, there must he must have French friends who can help, who can maybe put up leaflets on trees or whatever in the village, in the rural area of France, to say, would you like a cat? You can really only rehouse the ones that are that are living houses. The feral ones will just have to, you know, they have nine lives after all. And as you were saying, Graham, there must be mice in France. There must be French but, mice. But um, posters or the French equivalent of the RSPCA. But I got a feeling they'll just say, meh, you know, as the French do. Very good, very good. <laughs> I did do a bit of the shoulders yeah, there. Meh. Very, yeah, yeah. Um, and just say, cats are cats. We don't really, you know. See, I'm thinking. Yeah. Because the mom has has died recently, and sorry for your loss, Susie, um, I think maybe this idea of selling up and coming back to England was a kind of a a, a kind of a, a gut reaction to kind of like, oh, my wife's gone, I'm going home, boom. But now the fact that he's still feeding all these cats, but uh, like I think you need to say to your dad, look, do you do you want to come home? Do you want to sell this house? Mm. Because actually it doesn't seem like you do. Well, when you've had a lovely life there with somebody, there's either, you, you do go one of two ways, I can't stay here alone because I'm too sad, yeah. or I don't want to leave this. And so he's sort of stuck in the middle of this. It's really, so he's just... Yes, trans- I think he, yes, I think he thought he was one thing, but it seems actually he's the, the other. The transferences to the cats. But either way, even if he stays in France, but I guess he does want to come back to you, Susie, and family, etc. now, if he is alone. Either way, it does, doesn't solve the cat problem. And some something in me says the cat problem is not going to be his problem anymore. He, can, he should and could bring one or two of the kittens home, get them spayed, really, that's the first thing. And then I'm afraid, <laughs> it sounds harsh, but I think you just have to ignore the problem because... I love the fact as well that, you know, he buys the most expensive stuff because they won't eat anything else. They're wild cats. <laughs> it's that or a scabby old squirrel that died <laughs> yeah. recently. Just sitting out the back going, mm, I'm not sure. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. What was do that you... a can? <laughs> was that a can he opened? I'm not eating that. <laughs> what do you think, Pierre? I don't like this rubbish oh, either. Le Kibel. No. <laughs> no. Je n'aime pas le Kibel. Oh, very good. That was a very good cat. Cat thing. I would add next time you do it, just do a whisker stroke. <laughs> For my Edinburgh show. When I take it on the road. <laughs> Sous la rue. We've been help- hopeless for you, Susie. I'm sorry. No, but I think, Susie, uh, one listener's mind of practical advice, because uh, if so, uh, you know, because I think we do have listeners who love telling us about their second homes in France. So. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, <gasps> mad about it. I didn't yeah. realise that was oh, de- Virgin's oh. demographic. Oh, yes, France, Portugal. I thought it was more motorhomes oh, down mo- in, in we, Norfolk. They love a motorhome. <laughs> they love a motorhome too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but Susie, they may be able to help you. And the responses, part one, and my favourite responders to getting... Oh, this is so perfect for today. You are going to be receiving number one Colombian coffee ice cream. It's a luxurious ice cream made with West Country cream and dark, intense Colombian coffee beans. Oh, love a bit of coffee ice cream. Anyway, that's what, I, that's what my favourite responders will be getting. Jean from Ipswich. Uh, she is a volunteer for Cats Protection. Here we go. Bring the six indoor cats back to England. I mean, that's a long journey. <laughs> yes, Jean, you're right. We should. And for the feral ones, it's best to advertise them for outdoor space, i.e. farms and stables. I mean, I know what you mean, but like, how do you even get the feral? Like, if somebody wants a feral cat, how do you get it? 
like, do you write it a letter? Would you like to come and live with me? Uh, if you'd like to walk over here. But, you know, that. I guess if you stop feeding them, they'll walk somewhere, won't they? they I mean, but then it would be awful because they will show up for days just mewing outside your door. And, oh, God. Uh, Lynn says, can you research if there are any cat rescues or charities in his area? She did, there aren't. Uh, there are some fantastic ones in Greece, so I'm assuming there would be an equivalent in France. Your dad is still grieving and the cats are giving him a lot of comfort. Please bring a couple home with him. And I was even saying, oh, does he want to come home? We don't know. Uh, Sarah from Milton Bovey, really sorry for your loss. I would encourage your dad not to make any decisions about where to live for at least 12 months. His head will be all over the place and he needs to learn how he wants to live without your mom. That will take time and headspace. Once he makes his decision, the cats will look after themselves. He shouldn't let them dictate his decision. Uh, Sarah uh, from Multon Mowbray, guess what? You are getting that lovely and uh, number one Colombian coffee ice cream, courtesy of Waitrose. There you go. Graham's Guide. Uh, next problem, please. Here we go. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, my son has recently come out as gay and I don't think my husband is taking it very well. Ah, son. Can you stop doing that with your hand? I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Just in the corner of my eye. You're beating to the words. No, I don't know what I was doing. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's like you've been told off by yeah, teacher. No, no, I feel bad now. Our son moved out of the family home last year and after a few months of living with friends in the city, he came to visit us and to tell us the news. I'm incredibly proud of him. And while my husband hasn't said anything horrible, he hasn't really said anything at all. I don't want to cause a blowout by bringing it up too often, but I really feel like he should talk to me or someone about it. My son has noticed that his dad is very quiet around him too, and I don't want him to feel responsible for an odd atmosphere or his dad and my husband being awkward when he's around. I know he loves our son dearly and he's never shown any outward discomfort to any of our gay or lesbian friends but he's clearly having trouble with it what should I do and that is from Harriet in Oldham oh Harriet in Oldham I, what I want to say to you yes your husband is having trouble with it oh boo-hoo but he is your husband Harriet so I think you you don't want to cause a blowout it seems but I think you need to cause a blowout because clearly he's got an issue with it he doesn't want to say that to his son of course rightly so but he needs to tell you whatever it is that's bugging him about this and that is the point of you talking to him you have to just pre Prepare for a blowout because you need to get to the truth of this so he can tell you his prejudices, whatever is going on in his mind, which is clearly something. Get them out in the open and move on. It's clearly been a shock for him, yes, but, you know, you're very proud of your son. I'm very proud of him. It's a difficult thing to do. He's done a very brave thing and he needs to know that nothing has changed with his dad. Sexuality doesn't change the relationship you had before you came out or after you came out. I do feel your your husband needs to step up here and support your son and demonstrate that support rather than just going quiet like a wimp. If you've got issues, tell them to you, Harriet. You can sort it out together. You can go on the LGBTQI, etc., etc., all the letters of the alphabet um, websites and help pages, and they will explain how he's feeling and a lot of other people have felt before. But your son needs support. He's done a very brave thing. I'm very adamant about that but i do think so i think really harriet what what will help you is just time just a bit of time your husband has had a shock you know he imagined 
our life for his son. And now it's got to be a different life. Well, that's why he needs to tell his wife what uh, his prejudices are. But I suppose he, do, what, what he doesn't. What he doesn't want to do is, I suppose, he doesn't. He doesn't want to turn it into a thing either. You know, because if you kind of think, well, if I say this, then you know, Harriet will feel like she's got to. You know, uh, it's going to turn. He she, needs to discuss it with someone because someone, at the moment I'm, it's festering. Yes, I feel like he should talk to someone, and I, I and I think maybe. Harriet could quietly suggest that to him. Not in a big, fancy way, because the thing is, it's not like he's, you know, oh, no son of mine. You know, he's not that guy. So I think let's not be too quick to paint him as the bad guy. OK, no, I'm not. But I also think it's very hard for his son to have come home and done that, which, you know, let's so not difficult. underestimate that so, that is a so, big deal. So, so, so difficult. And he needs the support. So even if you're feeling, oh, no, no grandchildren, no whatever, and of course that's not true. Everybody can have children these days. You can have surrogacy, etc. But whatever he's feeling, you suppress that momentarily and you hug your son and you go, that was a brave thing to do. Well done. I love you. I support you. Nothing has changed. And then you go away and you chat to Harriet and say... I have to confess, I am a bit, you know, I feel something and I don't know what it is and I can't pinpoint it, but I do need to get it out there because I don't want him to know that I'm feeling like this. I want to be supportive to him. Yes. And at the moment, he's noticing. Your son is noticing. And, and so he's just bad at it. He's just a bad at it. I watched, there's a thing on BBC Three. Uh, I don't know what it is. Is it a dating show? It's called I Kissed a Boy. And it's, oh, it's Danny Minogue. And yeah, and they send these couples away. Anyway, the last episode of it, um, they've got... You Spoiler! Know, no, no, it's fine. They've got various, the various couples. and But what they do is they bring their friends and family to Italy. And it was the parents made me cry. Aww. Because, and particularly the dads. The dads were so amazing. Because in lots of, you know, it's, I don't know whether we're tired of dads, but, you know, because men aren't very, you know, they're not very emotionally literate. They're not very good at expressing feelings and doing all that. Uh, you know, ergo, yeah, here's this man. Yeah, a lot of men, you're right. Yeah, a lot this, of dads. Yeah, here's and this man. And certainly dads of a certain generation, I think. I really feel the next generation will be like, meh, whatever, I couldn't care what, less what you are as long as you're happy and healthy. And I think we're very nearly there. Hope but, so. But equally, Harry Tussman and Oldham, it's just been a shock. And I think, you know, just help him through it. And I, because, you know, your son has done the, the hardest thing. He's come home and told you face to face, da da da. And when he's not around you, he's just back in wherever he is, it's London, wherever he is, he's having a lovely time. So you're stuck in the house with him, Harriet. So it is kind of up to you to kind of coax him into a better place. Well, that's what I mean. You can just say, clearly, you know, something has changed, so you need to tell me what it is. We'll discuss it, and then it will be gone. Yeah. But while you're not telling me and keeping it inside, son is anxious and we need to get rid of that. Anxious. Doubtless, loads of parents listening have been in a situation like this, so do uh, let us know advice for Harriet. The response is part two. And my favourite responder will be getting the number one Colombian coffee ice cream. Delicious. Courtesy of our waitros. Uh, we Green and Big H from Glasgow. Well, this will be worth hearing. What he's feeling just now is grief. This news changes everything in an instant. The world is not as tolerant as it should be, and unfortunately that will mean his son will suffer prejudice that straight people do not suffer. He may have had ideas, hopes, dreams for his son, as all parents do, and now that idea of the future is completely different. He will come round in the end. It just takes a while. 
Um, and that's, you know, I think some parents suspect that their child is gay and so it's not such a big shock. But clearly for this man, he'd no clue that this news was coming. Uh, David B in South London. We all have dreams for our children. And now that circumstances have changed, then he will be grieving for the future he imagined. He has not shown hostility, so it's unlikely to be homophobia. He just needs a little time to come to terms with it. Harry should not criticise him, just encourage him to open him up. To open up. I agree, I agree. Uh, Harriet, a lot of men don't want to talk things through and would rather be left alone to process news in their own time, especially when the news opens our eyes to a personal failing. I expect after a few weeks, your husband will return to being the supportive dad he has been. Uh, so, well, Ian in Preston says that, and I hope you are right. And Mari from Topsham in Exeter. Uh, could we be making assumptions here? I'm thinking Dad might also be feeling confused. It could be that his son has made him reconsider his own sexuality. Well, Mari's really gone for broke with this advice. Uh, I think it's important that his wife speaks with him to find out what he is really thinking so she can help him, whatever his concern. Well, Mary's gone very deep there. Um, I would, I'm would. i going to give the ice cream to David B in South London because I think that's what it needs. It just needs a kind of a, a gentle thing. It doesn't need any confrontation, nothing. You just need to kind of coax uh, your husband through this. He'll get there in the end and it'll be fine. The Graham Norton Radio Show. With Waitrose, food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. I am joined by my first guests of the day. They are Shirley Kemp and Andrew Ritchie. Together they are half of Wham. Wham, 40 years, celebrating uh, 40 years of Wham. Uh, hello to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm not used to having two guests, so I might get a whiplash <laughs> going from one guest to the other. Yeah. Look like a confused cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What should we talk about first? Real, real, real. Uh, let's talk. Let's uh, mention the album. The album is out on the seventh of July. It's a pre available to pre-order now at WhamOfficial.com. So this is the singles, but they're all they were all hits, right? In the end, yeah, it's it's a singles collection. Yes, and and we we decided to. Um celebrate our 40th with the singles because we were essentially a singles band and Yog and I grew up as as we all would have in an era of singles and it defined our sort of idea of, of um, music and hits. Yeah and we're talking about the, the documentary as well and in there because I because I loved Wham Rap I remember being at the university and listening to Wham Rap and so when in the documentary they say oh, it wasn't a hit I thought wow how the hell did I hear it <laughs> and then it talks about how that wasn't a hit then you had Young Guns and that wasn't particularly a hit and then Top of the Pops happened so Shirley talk talk to us about kind of the getting the call that you were going to go on uh, Top of the Pops did you do the choreography? Um, well, no, because we were, well, we were always in George's bedroom, so we would make up dancing routines. <laughs> but we made up dance routines because we used to go clubbing. So they mm. were never intended to be in, a, you know, on TV. So it's just this bonus that we were all prepared. So preparation and opportunity, you see. Oh, so you had the you had the dance routine kind of, down. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we yeah. were we, we only we only had one partner, but uh, George and I, and that was Shirley. So we had to share <laughs> Shirley. <laughs> How very modern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't make me sound too good. <laughs> Happy married now. Happy married now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I when I when I was watching it, you know, because there's so much. You you know, the, the archive they found is amazing. I think there's a lot of that down to your mom. She seems to have been the keeper of the 
everything. Uh, yeah, not so much the the um, video stuff. Yeah. Um, but but certainly the, the other bits and pieces. All the scrapbooks. Yeah, mum. Yeah. Mum kept scrapbooks. Kept fifty in all. She 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 um, created in the end. So they're a, a marvelous sort of um, treasure trove of just odds and sods and and clippings from the press of the time in interviews and and reviews things like that they're they're fascinating yeah. yeah and so what you know for me watching it you know i i'm brought back to kind of my youth and all of that what's it like for you because it was your lives was it strange to sit down and have you have you sat down and watched the I finished thing sat, funny enough i took my son roman who's uh 30 so he wasn't around obviously when wham <laughs> And I thought, oh, I really want you to see who George and Andrew were. They were my best friends. And how it and how Wham happened in those days, you know, not and he came away and he had this whole new version, like, you know, vision of what Wham was. And he just said, I'm really proud of you, Mum. You've had an incredible life. And just to see his mum like have that experience to go from zero to be playing Wembley Stadium by the end of it. So for me, it does feel like a different life. And to watch the documentary, yeah, it gave me that feeling of, well, I've actually achieved something in life. Yeah. And when, you know, when you're young, when you're that age, four years is such a long time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, now we are all of an age. You know, four years is the blink of an eye. Mm. Uh, looking back, do you regret that it was just four years, that you didn't do it for six or ten? No, there's, there's. I don't regret anything about it, to be honest. I mean, there's lots of things that, that one would have perhaps done differently or, uh, you know, we, we could have had a really good record deal as opposed to a really bad record deal, <laughs> things like that. But, no, there, there are very few regrets. Um, uh, and uh, it... it it did seem it did pass quickly even then to be honest we were we were working uh, there are some things i think i'd like to have done play perform more we we never we never did a, ma a show in mainland europe oh. not one well really? ireland dublin right. it's not mainland europe is it no, we did yeah. for the yeah. states and china and you yeah. know long distance God. yeah but, but it would be nice to have done rome and paris yeah. and but yeah, in yeah. those oh, days what was so much hard about the music business was you had to be everywhere because there was no kind of social media or, you know, yeah. I think we had, um, was MTV even around then? I can't remember. Not, made not, a video. not really. It was no. sort of, it was yeah. sort of came out. So, yeah, my memory mainly is airports sat on aeroplanes being stuck on tarmac. That's the the worst part about it. Yeah. Yeah. The travel. It was, the travel was yeah, hard going. Well, Yog hated the travel. Yeah. I, I really didn't mind it. Um, he, he didn't like the travel aspect of touring, I don't think. He, I understand he that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. you're taken away from your home comforts, and me and George were very kind of homely people. We liked to have a cup of tea <laughs> and biscuits and being at home. So I totally understand. Yeah, going on tour is hard work. And then your other half, if you know what I mean, in the group changed. Yeah. So first of all, well, first of all, it was a girl called Amanda who did the very first PA. Oh, I don't think she's even in the documentary. Poor her. <laughs> Poor Amanda. Well, I'm giving her a shout yeah, out well now. Yeah. Well done, you. Yeah. yeah. So Amanda. Mandy Washbourne. Mandy Washbourne. Yeah. Oh, very good. Mind yeah. like a steel but, trap yeah. over there. <laughs> <laughs> and then DC Lee, who then went on to join Star Council, Paul Weller, because yeah. Paul Weller, she went on to marry Paul Weller. <laughs> And so I, I stayed and then the boys said there's a new girl uh, called Pepsi and we all liked the name, didn't we, really? And where did, where did and Pepsi come from? Where did you find Pepsi? Pepsi was recommended Simon to Simon Napier-Bell uh, knew of her. Um, so I met Pepsi at Finsbury Park's tube station. Did, did Dee... Um, no, 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 it wasn't no. Dee. No, I think it's Simon Napier-Bell who was managing Wham at the time. OK. 
So um, I met Pepsi and the boy said, if you like her and get on with her, then I drove her in my little mini back to George's house in Radlett, where we rehearsed again in the bedroom, I'm sure. <laughs> See if she could dance. <laughs> That's how professional it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, the, the defining feature of the early years were just how amateur the whole thing was. Yeah, I mean, it was at George's house, wasn't it? If it yeah. wasn't in the well, living room, um, we, and his mum, bless her, would be smiling and giving us the thumbs up to say, That's a good dance routine. <laughs> They'll like that. I remember <laughs> one occasion we had to routine George. Was babysitting um, for for people across the road where in Radley. and we actually went and we rehearsed the routine in, in the babysits. You know, yeah. oh. <laughs> Very quietly, yeah. <laughs> no stomping, yeah. no stomping. And you were saying while that was going on, Andrew, that if people pre-order the album, there's a whole slew of things they can there is indeed, choose. Yes, yeah, a veritable smorgasbord: um, <laughs> black vinyl, coloured vinyl, uh, picture vinyl, zoetrope. Um, we have to look that up. It's a bit difficult to explain. <laughs> yeah, CD, CD singles. It's and yeah, all, all comes with our sort of developed look from the edge of heaven. Yeah, and I chose the chose the um, the, the the title "Echoes from the Edge of Heaven." George's sister wanted <coughs> the the edge of heaven in there, and I just felt that "Echoes from the Edge of Heaven" just gives a little bit of sort of a, a, a intimates a dialogue with our yeah. dear departed. But it's also interesting, Andrew, you know, you say that you've chosen this look and everything, because I would have thought, as a, you know, as a fan of Wham, I would have thought George was the one who went, right, legs out, shorts, this is what we're doing. But that was all you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was, it was really just a concept, as so much of our look was, it was just what we had to wear. I mean, the, the, hilariously, we, we had to share clothes initially. I mean, George and I are in each other's clothes in half the shoots because we had about one outfit each. Well, it's two, I think. But, you know. George had an M&S jumper that he used to wear every time he sang Careless Whisper. And I remember it going missing once and the panic behind stage thinking, just get to M&S. But no, this specific, it was a bluey, greeny, grey well, jumper. Uh, uh, remember, he used to wear Live, yeah. Yeah. We'd come on on his own, sit on the chair. We'd all get very serious and then he would put the jumper on and that was Careless Whisper. Different times. Yeah. I, would, would, Andrew, would Andrew attempt to style oh, the two of no you? No way. No, no. Oh, right. No. It would have been a lot racier had I. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we used to go to Hyper Hyper. When you know, when you could actually go into places and shop, there was Hyper Hyper in Kensington and the Camden Market. I mean, so well, many the, great the, shops in the eighties. The, the girls chose themselves some fairly racy outfits as it is. I mean, I spent sixty pounds on that uh, dress that I wore on top of the pops. Way more expensive than what the boys were wearing. <laughs> well, on the first like top of the pops, wages, yeah, it was a Melissa wow. Kaplan dress and. Was it white wraparound? It was white. Yeah. And it had yeah. a very high cut, and my grandmother looked what was watching, and she was just speechless. Like <laughs> she couldn't speak. Slatten. Yes. Why are you not wearing a petticoat? Yeah. Actually, I want to. Talk, I want to talk about that that first time with the horse because it, it's. I love those kind of sliding doors moments because you know that young guns had was just it was just outside the top forty. How did the call happen? Did somebody? At Top of the Pops know you guys? Because I know someone dropped out, but but how, you know, of all the people to choose, why you guys? Uh, why not? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Because we were yeah. the best one. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> we were the highest riser. Oh, so, so we were okay. the next sort of <clears throat> act that made the biggest jump yeah. outside the But didn't Saturday morning Superstore? 
happened before top yeah pop. so so and that was a success yeah oh, yeah so that, that okay. that's yeah. what that's what kicked us up to just the on the cusp of the top 40 but it was looking for all the world like it wasn't going to get it make it into the top 40 i mean i remember dick lee brian morrison our uh, um uh, publishers at the time um god rest their uh, souls both of them lovely men um and and the record company and we were all really concerned because sales had faltered and it just didn't look like it was going to get in the top 40 had we got in the top 40 it would be almost a dead cert for top of the pops because we'd been the highest right for new entry yeah 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 someone dropped out fortunately and and we got the opportunity and that that really was i mean aside from getting a record contract in the first season Saturday superstore was was really mm. integral but top of the pops was what really did it i remember going out uh, shopping with my mum in Watford High Street <laughs> after we did Saturday Morning Super. Well, we hadn't. We filmed it on the Thursday or something. First time I'd ever been recognised. Oh my God, it was horrendous. <laughs> I had this short, white, bright, white, spiky hair. Yeah. And people were just running. Oh, that's that girl from Wham. And I, my life literally changed after that. And because for the boys, obviously, you know, you were writing the songs. You were ambitious. You were going for the meetings and getting the record uh, deals and everything. Were you just, was it just a laugh for it, you guys? Well, or? Well, it was kind of accidental, really, because the boys <laughs> the boys had signed your record deal, they'd recorded the songs, and it wasn't until they got asked, well, we need to perform them uh, in a club, do a PA in a nightclub, which happened to be Bolts. And um, they said, you know the dance routines that we do when we go clubbing? Should we do it? Do you want to come and do it? And we have to mime, get up on stage. And I said, mime, people are going to hate us. They're going to, like, boo us off. And we went up on stage. They it was in the middle of a, like a club, so imagine just turning the music off. <laughs> oh, and I'm thinking they're going to hate us. They're going to hate us. And it was silent. And then by the end of it, everyone was just cheering, clapping. I'd never been on stage before. I'd never done anything, yeah. so I was kind of thrown in the deep end. And then it, it, it was. Just... Uh, it was. I mean, it was. A, it was an amateur routine. But the thing. But. George and I, Shirley and, and DC Lee, looked great, and it, it was attractive, and it was yeah. a, it was a good little routine. And also, people hadn't seen anything like it really prior. I suppose that you could. Know, but like also, it was a really good pop song. I, I just want to we're running out of time, but I just want to get to the end of the story, the Wembley, the that the oh, wow. the, the, the day at yeah. Wembley, which is so you know I wasn't even there, but I'm watching a Why? documentary. Why? <laughs> I was busy, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I had a shift in a restaurant. Uh, so uh, I'm watching it so emotional. How emotional was it for you guys or was it, it was it only afterwards that kind of the impact of it hit you? For me, it was never emotional because I all, you know, we've got to remember we're really, really close friends. So you know that we've all done this. We're also grateful for what we've done. I knew George was going to go on to this solo career. I knew Andrew had loads to do. And Pepsi and I had signed a record deal. Yeah. I'm excited to think, right, Peps, we're going to do our thing now. And But we're, our friendship was so strong. We weren't really losing anything. For you, what struck me was that, you know, so you guys were going off with your record deal, George was doing today. What was it like the next day? What was it like the day after for you, Andrew, when you woke up after We're covering from a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we had... Just going back to the show, I remember the, the, the George introed we, we, the show and, and with everything she wants, and he, he'd go and perform this routine with the two dancers, and it was endless and I remember Cheryl going up and down up and oh no Cheryl, still Shirley, <laughs> up. he's going we, up like... we would be in tears back thinking 
how much longer? Honestly, I mean, to talk <laughs> that about... That Elvis moment, wasn't it? That's what I thought the nearest he's come to being Elvis oh, was at Wembley Stadium. Yeah. Hell, hell, but you hell, looked cool. You looked very cool. No, you were. You yeah. came in the long black coat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I take the coat off. <laughs> it was all very cool. But it was, it was you know... It very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. You know, we were playing to the gallery. That was that was part of it. You know, we, 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 we knew what the, the, the general sort of ideas of... You know, the fact that <laughs> I was, you know, a ladies' man, supposedly, and I had Cheryl and, and, and um, Pepsi yes. disrobing me on... It was, it was yeah, it was tongue she was all... I, I if people want to relive it, it is so <laughs> brilliantly portrayed in the documentary. Uh, the documentary is uh, it's Wham! It's called Wham! It's in, going to be in select cinemas uh, on the 28th of June and then will be on Netflix on the 5th of July. Do they? The singles, Echoes from the Edge of Heaven, that's out on the 7th of July. You could pre-order it now at Wham! Slash, or, wham! What's that little thing? Wham! Deep hyphen, official. Hyphen? Let's go with hyphen. Wham! Hyphen official. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Line. I've done the business. Short line. Uh, done I could talk to you all day because it's so <laughs> kind of, fun. you know, because it's part of my youth. And, and, I and Shirley, Shirley's memory, she she claims she can't remember stuff, but she has a, an absolutely forensic memory. It's brilliant hearing some of this stuff because I, I forget. Oh, and very quickly, the, the interview with George that's kind of throughout the, the documentary, is that one interview or is that different? No, it's, it's compiled from various different interviews. A lot of it's from, uh, I think, one or two long form um, interviews that he'd done but yeah, 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 yeah. he's so adorable in it as well just to watch him then oh well, to see, well to see you all as little kids I is know, just really. it's so yeah, lovely little, it's so yeah. lovely thank you uh, thank you so much for coming in to see oh, us thanks for having me uh, sadly we're out of time but uh, go live your lives and be you. happy congratulations <laughs> we will thank uh, you thanks for being here take thank care you. Be the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Uh, I am joined now by the fabulous Leslie Sharp. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so this is extraordinary. The Full Monty is back, but not a movie. This is eight hours yeah. of The Full Monty. So was this something that was bubbling along the whole time for the last 25 years, or was it a bolt from the blue for all of you? Well, I think that... Simon Beaufoy, who wrote the original film, was asked um, several times if he wanted to do a sequel to the film as a film and um, never felt that it was the right time. But um, he, I believe, felt that there was a real imperative to re-examine what it's like in certain working-class communities, um, which, and, you know, the original film was Sheffield... Um, a group of men recovering from the demise of the steel industry, going back and looking at whether things have got better in Sheffield. And he felt that now was the time to examine that. And he wanted to do it in this form because actually you've got eight hours to really dig into that, dig into all of the characters yeah. and tell a really broad story rather than just... 90 minutes. And also, we should say, this isn't like, oh, the stripping troupe get back on the road. I mean, this is, it's, these are kind of deep dive stories into all of these characters. It's, yes. it's something you couldn't do in a film. Yeah, 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 exactly. And the brilliant thing about doing something again is that, you know, you can really focus on what it is that interests you. And because 
25 years is a long time in anybody's life, but for Simon to sort of say, oh, well, what would, where would Lomper be now? You know, who might he be with? Would he be married? Um, what would be happening to Horse? What's happened to Dave and Jean? You know, there's a really great playbook there to mess around with. And also what I loved is that he's opened it out. The, there are all these other characters. There are children, there are grandchildren. Yeah. There's da, 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 da. Um, was it nice to have them join the gang or was it a bit like, mm, what do you know? No, it was really <laughs> lovely because they bring a completely different energy and imperative. And, um, you know, you, you can't just sort of stay in the past. You've got to move them all forward and their lives, have all they've all moved forward. And it was most it was mostly filmed on location, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah. we filmed in Manchester and we filmed in Sheffield. And presumably the first film, the original film, was filmed in Sheffield. Yes, it was all in Sheffield. So what, I mean, did the people kind of welcome you back? Was it a bit of a shock? They were thrilled, I believe. Um, I believe. I believe. I didn't speak to them myself. No, 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 no. Uh, The reason I'm saying that, Graham, is because Bobby Carlyle had to do a scene with some pigeons where he was standing in the middle of a square covered in pigeons. And as he was standing there covered in pigeons, someone walked past him and said, it's so nice to have you back. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, I think they were. I think, I yes, and, you know, the, the series, as the film was, is a bit of a love letter to Sheffield and the people of Sheffield. So we feel very thrilled to go back there. And we had the premiere there on Monday. Um, and that was great. There were loads of people who turned up to see us. And um, it's... Nice to feel that they're happy to have us back. And for you as an actor, you know, this playing, I always think, like, playing a role in a film or in a play, you know, there's a, a journey, a short arc. What's it like playing someone over what will be eight hours? Do you approach it in a different way or is it all just the same? No, I, I, no, I mean, I mean, I think sometimes it's a bit... Uh, nerve-wracking because you'll maybe have four scripts when you start filming and so you've got to wait for the other four and then of course you know there's there might be a massive twist you might get written out in episode five (laughs) you know you just don't know um but no you it's it's the same really i should say the full monty returns in the series uh on disney plus from wednesday the 14th of june but if you want to catch up the original film is also on disney plus it's it streaming did you revisit the film before you revisited the character well there was a sort of reunion get together for um 25 years uh, a screening of it at the screen on the green and um a load of us got together and went and saw that and simon was there and he i think then he might have been thinking about what was coming down the line so i saw the film then and then um, about 18 months later, oh, okay. this emerged. So I had, you know, seen it recently. Yeah. And what's it like seeing it again? Um, well, it, it's great. I mean, I think it really stands up. Um, it's a bit of a shocker seeing yourself. Um <laughs> Because none of us have aged. uh, No, none of us have (laughs) aged. We all like to pretend that we're still... Although, you know, there was certain... Yeah, it's just weird. But then that was also (laughs) the brilliant thing about us all being back together again is that, you know, all of those characters and then all of us as actors have 
had the great good fortune to live for another 25 years since we made that film. And actually there was something very moving about all of that experience and, you know, the way that our lives have all gone in different directions, all of that being back in the room. And the same is true of those characters. So it, it, it feels very rich, actually, coming back together again like that, and a real privilege, because it's rare in life, but it's really rare in our business. Yeah. Because you tend to do a job and then you scatter to the four winds, you know. And what's weird about it, I think, back there, is they bond so much that you know, it's such deep bond, yeah. and then you're right, you never see each other again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you didn't just bond, you, you went through something with the full Monty because, you know, before we went on air, you were talking about how, you know, it was ne this was never meant to be. The full Monty, no one thought it was going to be this global hit. No, no. Uh, um, I mean, you know, there was... Um, Bobby said, you know, oh, I thought that it would maybe play for four weeks up north and then disappear. And um, I remember I was on a beach in... Portugal on holiday and um, a friend said oh you know that film that you did in Sheffield it's um, opened in America it's got a really good review here um, and we like, oh great God, amazing so they opened it in America before it came to the UK oh really and it did really well in the States um, apparently it played only in four cinemas in LA and two cinemas in New York and then there was this whole word of mouth thing and then people were queuing around the block and then everybody was saying, oh my God, this film is incredible. And I think one of the reasons that it sort of went the way that it did is because that community, those people who, you know, are at the sharp end financially, spiritually, emotionally, philosophically. They're not validated necessarily by the government of the day. That is the same globally. There are communities like that everywhere. So I think that audiences really connected with that group of people at the sharp end, but coping with it in a way that's full of energy and vitality and life and wit and humour. It's not doom and gloom. So, yeah. you know, I think that um, the same is true of our series, is that it takes some of the issues of the day very seriously, but the tone remains the same of the film, which is that it's warm and funny and kind and enabling, and it's about a community supporting one another. So I think maybe we're all in need of a bit yeah. of a lift and a but, boost. But also, I should say, it was so much funnier than I thought it was going to be. So, because, you know, because on paper, you kind of think, oh, it's people struggling, you know, yeah. and da da da. But actually, lots of really good jokes. Yeah. It's very yeah, funny. Yeah, 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 yeah Good, yeah. good, yeah. good. Um, and in fact, I think I when I interviewed uh, Robert Carlyle about it, I think he said he, he thought it was a terrible film until he saw it with an audience. I think he told me that, where he saw it with an audience and suddenly got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I mean, you know. Yeah, audiences just took it to their hearts. And I didn't get... I haven't seen the last one, so is it possible that I'll be talking to you in a year and a half about more Full Monty? Um, well, you know, it's like all these things, Graham. It all depends on how well it goes down with audiences. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think even if Simon, you know... I, I, in fact, I'm pretty certain that Simon feels that there's more to tell about these characters, but... All of that is dependent on whether or not it goes down well. But I think all of us feel very, um, very wedded to it and yeah. very affectionate towards it and would be very pleased to revisit it. Yeah, I have to say, one of the things, it, it, 
there's nothing about it that feels cynical. It doesn't feel no. like all of you got to go, let's cash in on this no. thing. No, it feels no, really the... sincere and genuine. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think that that, again, is sort of what makes it so brilliant right now is that we're really in need of something which is genuine and heartfelt rather than manipulative and cynical. Uh, Well, it is available on Disney Plus from Wednesday the 14th of June. The full Monty. Uh, Leslie Sharp, thank you so much for coming to see us. Thank you for having me. Something's smelling great. Let's cross to the kitchen and see what show chef Martha has cooked up. Oh, yes, she's uh, parallel parked. Uh, (laughs) Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well also. So let's start with what you've made for us. What have you made? Oh, I'm going to have to talk on double speed. So this is crispy za'atar squid with... With olive and sun-dried tomato mayonnaise. Now, I knew all of those words. <laughs> Actually, I, do, I know the word za'atar, but I don't know what it is. What the hell is za'atar? So, za'atar is a seasoning blend, a Middle Eastern one. It is, honestly, I'm a bit obsessed with it. You can put it on everything <laughs> and it just adds so much flavour. It's predominantly sumac, which has this lovely tang to it, almost like a citrusy tang. Okay. And then it's oregano, sesame seeds, and it usually has a bit of salt. So it's like a all-in-one, ready to go. You can put it on chips or you can stick it on eggs. Or... So it's zesty rather than curry. Yes, it's not spicy at all. It's got no chilli. It's just a mixture of dried herbs. It's got a little bit of cumin in there as well. Oh, cumin, yeah. sesame seeds, and it's particularly good on crispy calamari. <laughs> Beautiful. We've come full circle. Ooh, little rings of calamari. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, so you, did, you, you bought the calamari rings. I did. You can buy frozen calamari rings in Waitrose in the freezer section. Gotcha, so perfect. Gotcha. You can have this in your freezer, ready to go. Or if you fancy going to a fishmonger, you could buy a whole squid. You could prepare it or ask them to prepare it. Ask them over the fish counter. Please, will you prepare my squid for me or you'll be inking, inking all over go, your kitchen. <laughs> There's some woman out here wants me to prepare a squid. <laughs> Once it prepares, so you want squid rings, mm-hmm. you buy them frozen, defrost them. They only take 10, 15 minutes to defrost in a bowl of water, so easy. Mm-hmm. Then you are going to take your spice blend, so there's no mixing of spices. You just take the one little pot of cook's ingredients. I've got it, I've got it in my hand, that's what you can do. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, She's prepared. I'm prepared. We're mixing that. <laughs> she finds some raw squid anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I can do it here. Maybe we should do the segment completely live. Um, no, let's not do that. No, that's fine. We take the spice blend, mix it with some garlic granules, some salt, some baking powder, and then you toss your squid in there, a little bit of egg white to bind it all together. Mm -hmm. Then we're heating oil. You can use a deep fat fryer if you've got one, but you can very easily do it in a little pan. And thankfully, it only takes two to three minutes to cook, so you're not going to be standing there overheating for very long. Yes, it's not the day for a deep fat fryer. It's not quite the day. We have got a very deep fat fried weekend for you this weekend. Mm, mm, Delicious. We've timed it well with the weather, that's for sure. So once you've tossed it all together, you want to heat your oil to 150 degrees C or when you put a piece of squid and you want it to rise right to the top, then you're going to put a dusting of flour over the top of the squid in a little bowl and then do it in thirds. So a third at a time in the pan, two to three minutes till it's lovely and golden and crispy. Drain it on some baking, oh no, not baking paper, um, kitchen towel to gotcha. absorb all yeah. of that oil. Mm-hmm. And then we're just going to make a really super quick mayonnaise. Um, we're taking regular mayonnaise and mixing it with a Waitrose Kalamata Olive and Sun-Dried Tomato Tapenade. So it's already got those lovely flavours. Mm. Mix the two together and you get this lovely Mediterranean mashup. It's a John Gregory Smith recipe and he's really good with Lebanese, Middle Eastern, North African dishes. This is a lovely little medley of all of them. Well, I can't wait to eat this. Uh, if you'd like that recipe, you can find 
find it on the Waitrose Hub, waitrose.com slash showchef. And in fact, all of Martha's recipes will be there. And if you'd like to see the visuals, uh, that's available on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Thank you so much for listening. Catch us again every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. And make sure you're following us at Virgin Radio UK on all socials. Also, check out full guest interviews on our YouTube channel at Virgin Radio UK. Catch you next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.